0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about Abraham and he said something amazing. You may have glossed over this little sentence before but I want to read you John 8 verse 56. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham, he says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. He rejoiced and was glad when he saw my day. Now what did he mean by that? We can gloss over the words of Jesus and say, well, that's just religious speak. Or we can press in and say, Jesus, what on earth were you saying? Abraham saw you. How did he see you? And I'm going to show you today how Abraham saw Jesus and how you and I can see Jesus. You know, we think because we are looking backwards in faith, You weren't there when Jesus was crucified. I know you weren't. None of us were. But we look backwards in history and in faith. And we imagine the day and we see Jesus being crucified. But for some reason, we think the Old Testament people before Jesus couldn't do that. You know what? Exactly the same way you and I look backwards in faith. They look forwards in faith. But Abraham, the father of faith had something special. So I'm going to show you three ways that Abraham saw Jesus' day and it's going to encourage us because then we're going to see that just as he saw Jesus' day, we can and the effects that it had on him, it can have on us because faith is all about seeing something that isn't physically there. It is there, but it's not physically visible. It's visible with another sense called faith. So the first way was when Jesus, in the form of Melchizedek, met Abraham. Now you say to me, what, Greg, are you talking about? Jesus, in the form of Melchizedek, met Jesus? That sounds like religious mumbo-jumbo. Let me clarify for you. There was a man in Abraham's day called Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king, Zadek or Zadok means righteousness. His name meant king of righteousness. In Genesis 14, Abraham is coming back from winning a war and he's got a whole lot of plunder and goods with him. And this king called Melchizedek, who was king of a place called Salem, which became Jerusalem, the same place. He was the king of Salem, met him, and he was called priest of the most high God. In other words, the same God that Abraham worshipped, This person, Melchizedek, was the priest of the Most High God and he met Abraham and he blessed him and Abraham worshipped and gave a tithe to this man. And we say, who is this Melchizedek? Let me read you Hebrews 7 verse 3. Talking about Melchizedek. It says, he is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Melchizedek was Jesus. You say, no. Listen. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. That is Jesus. And that is Melchizedek. And he met Abraham in the middle of dry, dusty Israel, and he blessed him. Listen to what he said in Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham God of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of everything. The first time that Abraham saw Jesus' day was when he met Melchizedek. And there's something that I need to help you with. And that is that when, you know, the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Did you know that? Revelation 13 says Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. And the way this works, I don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of eternity right now. But basically, when you live on earth in time, whatever happens to you on earth, when you die and you leave planet earth and you go into this realm called eternity, whatever happened to you on earth remains with you in eternity. But because eternity is not time on a linear scale, it's just a realm where there is no time, That Jesus who lived and died and was crucified, when he left planet earth and went back into eternity, he is always crucified with the scars and the evidences of his death. And when Melchizedek, Jesus in the form of Melchizedek, met Abraham, he had the scars. Now I know I'm blowing your mind right now. I've done a series of sermons about eternity. You can look them up on our website, leadinglightsnetwork.com, and it'll explain how this all works. But basically, Jesus, once He left planet Earth in 33 AD or whatever it was, He is eternally the slain Lamb. And that's why the Bible says He is slain from the foundation of the world. He's always looking like He's been crucified. And when Jesus, as Melchizedek, met Abraham... Abraham said, what's going on? And I believe Jesus explained some things to him. There's a verse in Galatians 3 verse 8 that says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. I believe That even though we have a small record of what Melchizedek said to Abraham, there was more. And I believe he preached the gospel. He told him about what was to come. He gave him an inkling. And and this is just me filling in the gaps. But I believe Abraham said, and that, Mark, and that, and what happened there? Why, what's going on? And Jesus explained what was to come. Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced and he's starting to put together, I'm a part of this big puzzle. It's going to be one of my descendants. It's, I'm part of this picture. The next time that Jesus appeared to Abraham, and Abraham saw his day, is in Genesis 17 and 18, where it says, God Almighty... It uses several names for God. And it's definitely talking about God himself. But it says appeared to Abraham in the form of a man. And had a meal with him. Had a discussion with him. Blessed him. Made promises to him. A man. God in the form of a man appeared again to Abraham in Genesis 17 and 18. And there was a discussion and a covenant. And there was a whole lot of things that happened. And so again Abraham saw Jesus day. But now I want to show you. The culmination of this, and it's in Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. Now, I must warn you that if you read Genesis 22 on its own, without understanding the context which I'm now giving you, it doesn't seem to make sense. Why would God tell Abraham to sacrifice his child? Where in other parts of the Bible, God makes clear. That he hates child sacrifice. He hates any type of sacrifice. Why would this happen? If you read this story just on its own, you don't understand. But when you read the whole of scripture, you understand. And I believe that if you read Genesis 22 with the, the reality in your mind that Jesus had already explained to Abraham what was going to happen, suddenly it makes sense. So let's read Genesis 22, starting from verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of my mountains on which I will tell you. And a verse just rings in my ears when I read that verse. A verse from the New Testament just seems so linked to this. It says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. By the way, this is the first time the word love appears in the whole Bible. Your only son, whom you love. Take your only son and offer him. And John 3.16 rings in my ears. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe Abraham understood. Okay. What Jesus explained to me about what's going to happen to him. I, okay, I think, I think I understand what he's saying now. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. Hebrews 11, 19, later on, explains to us that all along, Abraham was thinking... God is going to raise my son up again from the dead. Why would Abraham think that unless Jesus had explained to him beforehand the gospel that I am going to die. I'm going to be buried for three days. I'm going to rise again. And suddenly everything starts to click. That's why Abraham understood what was going on. He figured, Hebrews eleven nineteen says, he figured that God would raise up Isaac from the dead as a picture of what Jesus was going to go through. So let's read on. Verse Two, verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him. Is it possible that Jesus had said there were two men on one on either side of me when I died? Maybe. And Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, three days. Later, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. I really believe I know what's going on here. I really believe Abraham knew what was going on here. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Did you see that? Abraham wasn't expecting Isaac to die. He knew he was coming back because Jesus had said, this is what happens. I'm taken, the only son who God loves, and I'm murdered on a hill. And three days later, I rise again. And look, this is me now. Next verse. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Why did he do that? John 19 verse 17 says, and they laid the wood of the cross on Jesus and he carried it up the hill. Abraham says, okay, I must put the wood on, on Isaac. And he put it on him. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father and said, my father, said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire and the wood is here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. I can just hear the words of the New Testament ringing out of Abraham's mouth. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God will provide a lamb. I don't think Abraham was lying to his son or trying to tell a white lie or trying to cover over a truth. I think he really believed God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham saw Jesus' day. Not just saw in a vague sense, not just read in a book, he experienced it. He knew what God the Father felt and what Jesus felt on the day of Christ's crucifixion because he lived it and he rejoiced, John 8 says. Abraham saw Christ's day and he rejoiced. There's something I must share with you. This place is called Moriah. It says at the beginning of this chapter, go to the land of Moriah, a region of Moriah, it's quite a large piece of land, and the city of Jerusalem is built on that hillock called Moriah today, to this very day. And on the lower parts of Moriah, there is the city of Salem, which became the city of Jerusalem. So as Abraham and Isaac are walking towards this place, God says, go to the region of Moriah. He goes to and through the city of Salem on the lower parts of the hill Moriah, and he would have seen Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was the king of that place. Or maybe he would have thought, even if he didn't see him, okay, I'm I'm, I'm remembering now. And then he would have gone up a little further, and there was a flat place near the top of the hill. there There was a flat place which many years later became the threshing floor you know what a threshing floor is? It's a flat piece where they would thresh wheat to get the, the wheat and, and the chaff separated. It had to be a big flat piece of ground. And there was a flat part on the hill of Moriah, a big area, where many years later a man called Aruna owned it and he used to thresh wheat. And David sinned and God allowed a plague to be released on the people of Israel. And David went and he bought the threshing floor of Arona and he made a sacrifice and he said, God, stop this plague. And the plague stopped there. And that was the place that Abraham and Isaac went through. And it became the place. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, it says, King Solomon built the temple on the piece of land, the threshing floor of Arona, where David had made the sacrifice and that became the temple for all generations and it's still there. The dome of the rock is upon that piece of land today. But a little bit further, so we've gone up the hill of Moriah, we've gone through Salem, we've gone to the flat place where the temple stood and all the sacrifices were made. And a little bit further up the hill of Moriah, if you look on geological maps, You know, a geological map has little lines that tell you the altitude of a hill. And there's lots of little lines and little circles, and it tells you the altitude. If you look at a geological map of Jerusalem, the temple mount is 747 meters above sea level. And a little bit further on, a few hundred meters further on, there is the highest point of Mount Moriah, which is 777 meters. And I believe that's exactly where Abraham sacrificed, was ready to sacrifice Isaac because that is the place called Golgotha where Jesus Christ was crucified. The very spot. The very spot. Now you say, how did Abraham see Jesus' day? He lived it, folks. He lived it. He lived it with all of his being, the emotion, the, every part of him, heart, soul, mind, and strength was involved in seeing Christ crucified. And I want to say to you that that same experience that happened to Abraham happens to every real Christian who sees Christ. We're not there. We weren't there. 2,000 years ago when Jesus had the wood on His back and He carried it up the hill and they crucified Him on a cross on the top of a hill. We weren't there, but we can see it just as Abraham did because faith is not bound by time or space or any physical matter. Faith is faith we see in the spiritual realm. That verse that I read you in John chapter 8. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced, he was glad. And they said to him, What are you talking how, how can you know Abraham? And Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. He didn't say I was, he said I am. That's the name that God used to describe himself. When Moses said to God, what is your name? God said, tell them I am has sent you. In other words, I live in the eternal present. Eternity, there's no forward and back and future and past. It's eternal present. I am. That's me. That's God. And Jesus was saying, before Abraham was, I am. I live in this eternity. There is no time in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. You can see Christ being crucified just as Abraham did. Because we use the eyes of faith and we look and we experience it. And I'm going to ask you, have you experienced seeing Christ crucified for you? There was a group of Christians in the New Testament called the Galatians who were getting out of just believing and they were getting into their own good works to try and deserve salvation. And Paul says to them, Before your eyes, Christ was plainly portrayed as crucified. Why do you think you can add to what He did by your own good works? The answer to every problem in your Christian life is seeing Christ crucified in technicolor, in vivid detail, seeing Him crucified and realizing that pain and all of that sacrifice that He went through was for me. There is nothing I can do to add to what He's done. And also there is no sin I can commit that that sacrifice cannot cover. He has done it all. And if you get into that place where Abraham was, you and I rejoice. We are glad. I'm going to read you just a couple of other scriptures. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. You see, there are different types of faith. There's the type of faith that Abraham had, which led him to identify completely with God and what God was doing. And so he lived it. It became part of who he was and he lived it out. There's another type of faith which says it's faith, which says, I believe there's a God. And James says, well, even the demons know that. That's not faith. Listen to what he says. That a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, Rahab the harlot was also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Now listen to this last verse. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. What he's saying is Abraham had faith when he saw in, in his heart and in his mind. He saw Christ crucified and he understood what Christ would do. Faith was born in Abraham but it results in some kind of action. It always does. And so every one of us, when we see Christ crucified, we are challenged and moved to become like Christ and sacrifice ourselves and give away those things that we hold as idols as more important than God. God says, let that die now, my son. Let that die now, my daughter. Let that die now, that pride, that arrogance, those hopes and dreams that are not godly, that whatever it is, that thing you hold above God, he says, will you let that die today? And if we have real faith, if we've seen Christ dying for us, we say, yes, Lord, I'll let my son Isaac go because we know that whatever we give to God comes back to us more. A seed, 1 Corinthians 15, says when a seed is planted, then the full plant grows. Everything that you give to God has to be buried and die so that it can grow greater. We give it away. But what it says here is that if I choose not to obey, if Abraham had got to the bottom of Moriah and said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. It says faith without works is dead what happens is that faith that had burst into life when he'd imagined and seen Christ crucified would have been snuffed out because he had failed to act upon it, to walk it out and work it out. And so the challenge is this. You must see Christ as crucified, but if you do, something will die. Either an idol will die or your faith will die if you don't pursue that faith that God has given you. But something will always die. Either the idol will die or if you don't follow through and obey God, that faith that has burst into life will die. Faith without works dies. The good news is until the very last breath that you have on this planet, you have a chance to revive faith again. You might be sitting here and you say, You know what? I had a dream from the Lord. I had a vision. I had a a plan, a purpose, a passion. And I didn't act on it and I let it die. And God says, it's okay. Today is a new day. The mercies of God are new every morning. You've got another chance to wake up and to say, God, today I'm going to Mount Moriah. Amen? Last verse. You ready for the last one? We'll close with this. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What does that mean? Why does he say in view of God's mercy? He's saying if you've seen Christ dying for you on the cross, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what he did with Isaac. He offered him and God said, I want him to be a living sacrifice. I see you're willing to put me above him. Let him live. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. God, all I am is yours. These talents that I'm so proud of. This status that I've attained in life. These possessions. These relationships. These hopes. These dreams. This ministry. Whatever it is. Lord, I offer it as a living sacrifice. It came from you anyway. I didn't earn it. It was a miracle gift from you. I give it back to you. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed. In other words, walk up the hill. Don't stay down with the rest of the world who are running after silly little temporary things. Walk up the hill with God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when I hear those words, good, Pleasing and perfect. One word summarizes those for me. Rejoice. Good. Pleasing. Perfect. Rejoice. Abraham saw Christ's day. He could have stayed at the bottom of the hill and let his faith die. But he experienced it. He walked right up the hill to the top of Moriah to Golgotha where Christ was going to be crucified. He saw Christ's day and he rejoiced. And you and I are rejoicing because of what he did. I'm going to ask you, my dear friend, what is it that you need to let die today? What is it that you've been holding on to thinking God's will is not good, pleasing and perfect? This thing is more pleasing and perfect and good than God's will. He says, no, no, let it die and you'll really rejoice. You'll see my will is much better. But only you can answer, what is that thing? I don't know what it is for you. But you do. And God will put His gentle finger on it in your heart. And say today, will you see Christ dying for you? And will you follow Him? And I want to tell you, it's an ongoing experience. It doesn't happen just once in your Christian life. It happens once and then it happens again and then it happens again and then it happens again until the end when we have met with Christ in full reality. But for the rest of our lives, He will be prompting us and saying, what about that thing? Will you lay that on the altar? We're going to worship now for a few minutes and I want you to use this time To say, God, I want to climb up Mount Moriah and I want to lay these things on the altar. My hopes, my dreams, my pride, my control of my life, whatever it is, God, I give it to you. Because if we see Christ and what he did for us in view of God's mercy, we will offer ourselves back to him. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.